Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight I'm going to be speaking about Exodus chapter 18, should have known better, which I thought was a better title than Moses is visited by his father-in-law, because if I posted that on the Facebook page, maybe only half of you would be here tonight, but fortunately, you are here tonight, those who are here, and I, I am thankful of that. So let's take a look and see what we can get out of this chapter On the surface, it seems like there's not much to it, but like many of the stories in in Scripture, there is more to the story than is on the surface. So when reading a story, ask yourself as you're going along, and this is good not just for stories in the Bible, but for any story, what doesn't make sense here? Am I missing any information? there seem to be a point, and do I understand what that point might be? You don't have to draw any conclusions while you're in the story, but you can ask yourself the questions and see if you can uncover anything that you might otherwise miss. I applied that to this story, and I came away with uh, a couple of points that I really didn't understand before about this chapter. So we're going to begin 18, 1 to 6. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, with her two sons, one of whom the name was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Okay. In the last chapter, there was a battle at Rephidim. And it was near Mount Sinai, which is what they're calling here the the mountain of God. And that's where the children of Israel have been. Uh, There was no telephone. There was no internet. There was no real mail. But there were messengers. And so over time, Jethro had heard some things. And he'd also learned where Moses and the children of Israel were. So he had sent word that he was coming, and he was bringing 
the wife of Moses and the sons of Moses. And the sons were born while he was in Midian, of course, the first one named Gershom, because a lot of times they'd, they'd take their kids and they'd give them a name based on how they were feeling at the time or maybe some events of the time. And, and so Gershom was, I have been a stranger in a foreign land, which Moses was originally leaving Egypt and going to the land of Midian. And then Eliezer, for the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh because he had reached Midian and he'd found safety. So we're gonna, let's take a look at a map here and see where Midian is and see where Rephidim is and kind of refresh our, memory, our uh, memories as to what's going on. Now, when Moses originally left Egypt, he had fled all the way over to Midian there, and that's uh, circled in red, and then Rephidim is circled in blue, and right below Rephidim is Mount Sinai. So that's our map. We're going to come back to that map. The people who lived in the land of Midian, well, there was a mix of people who lived there, Midianites lived there, of course. But there were other people. There were Kenites. Uh, Jethro was spoken of in other parts of Scripture as a Kenite. So he was a Midianite because he lived in Midian, but he he wasn't necessarily ethnically a Midianite. He was ethnically a Kenite, which was a different lineage. But then there were people called Cushites. I don't know if they were Cushites if they were from Africa or if there's another region that they called Cush, but you had this other major people group in Midian. And then there were some others as well. Midian was one of the sons of Abram's um, wife Keturah, who he married after Sarah died. Because when, when Sarah died, Sarah had Isaac, and this is after Hagar and Ishmael, then you had Sarah and Isaac, and then you, he married Keturah, and then all of a sudden, six sons. And one of them was Midian, and that's where you get the Midianites from. Is it important? Well, I think it becomes important because the Midianites understand themselves as being descended from Abraham, but they also gain an understanding uh, and that they've had, but it probably just ferments over time, that um, they're not through Isaac and Jacob and that the children of Israel considered themselves as the children of the promise of God. And therefore, the other children, Ishmael, Zimran, Midian, they weren't. And they may not have liked that. That's a human response, is to not like it. So those were the people, again, Midianites, Kenites, Cushites, and others, who lived in Midian, um, and again, the map. Now we'll continue, um, six to nine, or actually it should be seven to nine. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. They asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent, and Moses told his father-in-law all that he had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come to them along the way and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro, 
rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hands of the Egyptians. So Moses just went through the story in detail to him, explaining what happened, and Jethro was delighted. Picking up with verse 10, And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all of the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Jethro was spoken of as priest of God in Midian. Uh, Some scholars believed that he was an idolater, but there was really no evidence in scripture of that because he said priest of God. Nothing to indicate that there was an idol, nothing to indicate that there were multiple gods. Um, But it was probably just a simple worship of God involved with some sort of very simple sacrifice. Could have been similar to what Abraham did. And it it had carried down for generations. And uh, he was a monotheist in an area that was increasingly idolatrous. And there probably weren't very many people like him in Midian. I mean, there could have been, but I would have been surprised. Some people, I I read one commentary that said that this is when Jethro got saved, and I don't believe that that's the case. I think it's more like followers of John the Baptist who learned about Jesus, and when they learned about Jesus, it's just a more complete story, because after all, John the Baptist was pointing to Jesus, and So once Jesus is there, um, they have a fuller understanding of who God is and and what the story really is and what God is doing with them. And I think that's what happened with Jethro. Jethro understood that the God that he had worshipped was the same God who had spoken to Moses from that burning bush and that caused Moses to leave and go to Egypt. And Jethro was thankful that Moses, as it turned out, was not crazy. Think about it. Somebody comes in and says, God spoke to me in a burning bush, and I'm going to go. You remember that land I fled from? I thought they were going to kill me. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to tell them to release my people. And Jethro might think, oh, you know, I can't stop you, Moses. God be with you. And then he wanders back and he goes, oh, maybe he says, I hope that was God or else he's going to die. I hope Moses hasn't gone crazy. He hadn't. We're going to pick up with verse 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why 
do you alone sit, and all of the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because people come to me to inquire of God. When they have difficulty, they, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Picking up with verse 17, so Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is, is not good. Both you and these people who are with you surely will wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people that you may bring the difficulties to God, and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way that they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they bring, they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all of these people will also go to their place in peace. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of people, does it? It's kind of a bottleneck if you've got one person, and then you have all these people lined up to go talk to Moses. And how long are they going to... They're going to be waiting. I mean, has anyone had to stay in line for a really long time? Okay. Imagine staying in line for hours and hours. Okay, there's no bathrooms. There's no water handy. Now, maybe there were some helpful people that were bringing water and giving water to the people who were standing in line. But it's daytime. The sun could be really hot. So it's not good on the people. And Moses is sitting there, starting early in the morning, one person after another after another. And then maybe he gets a lunch break, maybe not much of a lunch break. And then he has to keep doing it and doing it until it's too dark. You know, we have to allow enough time to people to go back to wherever, wherever they're in camp that wasn't going to work. Jethro saw this, and he explained it to Moses. And it's a good practical thing. To, to, if you've got a large group of people, to organize them. If you have a smaller group of people, to organize them. Churches do this. Towns do this. Businesses do this. So it makes a lot of sense. And it seems what that would, that's what the chapter is about. Except that I, I think that the chapter is about more than that. You see, if there was one person out of 
all the people who left Egypt, if there was one person who fully understood how to organize people, wouldn't it be the one who was raised with an elite education? Well, how many people were there? Well, one. It was Moses. Okay, it might have been a while since he had, he'd been in Egypt and he'd learned those things, but I think some of the basics are things that you don't forget. So why does he have to be told by Jethro? Jethro, who lives out, out in Midian. Midian's like the sticks. Okay, Before the internet and, and communications, if you came from a remote area, you were not expected to um, understand much about civilized life and how things worked. But here... Jethro, coming out from the sticks, is explaining to Moses to do something that Moses should have already known to do. And why wasn't he doing it? Don't know. Is it a sin? Well, not necessarily. Was it that he didn't think that that... Maybe he thought he had to take it upon all of himself... Maybe he felt like he couldn't sufficiently trust other people. But for whatever reason, he should have known better, and he didn't, and he had to be told by his father-in-law. Who might have been about the only guy that would tell Moses something and that Moses would listen to him? Maybe he'd listen to Aaron. Maybe he'd listen to Miriam, his sister. But that'd be about it. He'd listen to Jethro. He'd been listening to Jethro for decades. I don't think that relationship changed no matter what happened in Egypt. So well, why didn't God just tell him? I mean, God's talked to him before about a lot of things. God chose not to do that. God chose to send this practical message through Jethro. So we'll move along here. Picking up with 24. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times, The hard cases were brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land, leaving his wife and his his sons, which is great. Family reunion. Not Not the main point of the chapter, though. So it worked. It worked. It was not a big deal. It's not like Moses had to go searching for all of these able men. It seems like it wasn't hard. Maybe you got a few men that you trusted and you found out what men they trusted and so on until you had a group. And then after that, just a matter of organization, something that he knew how to do, something he had learned how to do. So that's what happened, and that's the chapter. Um, we're going to go over it again, but we're going to look at it from a different perspective. Uh, Asking ourselves, what would it be like 
if Jethro was talking about it, and I think if Jethro were here, he might say something like this. Many people call me Jethro, but you can call me Ruel if you want. I've been priest of God in the land of Midian for many years. One day, about 40 years ago, give or take, my daughters, and I have seven daughters, all beautiful, beautiful still, all hardworking. Anyway, my daughters were drawing water for my flocks when they were being driven away by shepherds of some other flocks, those bullies. But this man, this, this Egyptian came and he drove off the shepherds and my daughters, they told me about it when, I, when they returned. Of course, I wanted to meet this Egyptian, so I sent them back to get him and bring him back to me. And what a fine man he turned out to be. His story, though, was a bit strange. And he looked like an Egyptian, but come to find out, he was descended from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. You know, we know of this Abraham. We've heard of Isaac and Jacob. Yet, he looked like an Egyptian. Then he told me of the plight of his people and how he had wanted the help being raised in the Egyptian royal household. That was an odd story. But God is good. He also told me about how he had to flee for his life. He wanted to help his people somehow, but I didn't see how he could do that anymore. I did see that he would be a fine husband for one of my daughters, Zipporah. I wanted him to stay. I thought he would be useful. And you know, he did. He stayed, and he made Midian his home. And years went by. Decades went by. Life was good. Moses served me faithfully. Became part of the family business. But not long ago, he came to me with a story about God speaking to him from a bush. It was, it was burning, but it wasn't consumed. I wondered if he'd been in the sun too long. God told me that he was going to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And I thought, oh, he's going to die I knew he wanted to help his people. I knew he always felt bad about that because he'd wanted to help his people, but he never went back. But now, after all these years, and was this really God or was he just going crazy? And I, I just didn't know. I mean, I knew him really well at this point. It had been so many years. He married one of my daughters. He gave me grandchildren. But still, go back? Was it really God? See, I know something of God. I've, I'm a priest of God, and I have been for many years. I worship one God. And that one God is not an idol, it's not a statue, it's not what the people in Midian do. And they think me a fool because I don't have an idol, a statue, or something out of gold or wood, no, that I worship one God and I worship him simply. I don't care. But why would God speak to Moses when he'd never spoken to me, his priest? 
I didn't understand that. So he went. And time went by. And not long after that, I heard word, because messengers come every once in a while, caravans come back and forth. And I heard of these disasters that were happening in Egypt, one after another, plagues affecting their water and their their crops and their animals. And I heard that a representative of the Hebrews, the children of Israel, had gone to the Pharaoh and told them to let them all go, but he wouldn't do it. So these plagues kept happening. And till finally, the, the, the firstborn of all the people in Egypt and all the animals in Egypt, they died except, except those Hebrews. And the representative who contended with Moses was a man named Moses. It was Moses. It was my son-in-law. He wasn't crazy after all. He led his people out of Egypt, but then they were chased by chariots sent to subdue him and make them return. But then I heard about how God caused the very sea to part and to lead dry land as passage and close on those chariots. I know now that the God of the Hebrews, the God who spoke to Moses, is the same God that I have worshipped. And I will continue to be his priest and rejoice that I was so blessed that Moses is married to my daughter and together they have children so that my descendants are going to be part of the children of Israel. When I heard that the Hebrews came near Rephidim, I came out to Moses with Zipporah and their sons, Gershom and Eliezer. I wanted to tell Moses that he was not crazy after all. I didn't tell him that. Instead, I proclaimed to him that his God was greater than all gods and was the same God that I I realized that I was serving. And I led a sacrifice. And we all participated. And I remained there the next day and Moses did a curious thing. In the morning, he sat in judgment of the people who lined up with their complaints and disputes and he stayed there until the sun was low. Oh, that's too much for any one man, even him. And he should have known better since he, Moses, was from the Egyptian royal family. And how can he represent his people to God if he is judging them all day? So I I told him about this. And once I told him, he, he immediately set up judges from among the people of Israel and that Moses would only hear the most serious disputes. I wonder why that God himself, why he didn't tell Moses, but maybe he left that for me. Ruel, priest of God in Midian. So that's maybe the way that Jethro saw it. So we've got some takeaways here, three of them, not related to organization. One, Withhold judgment whenever possible to make sure that we get the whole story. Jethro did that. He withheld judgment. He might have wondered if Moses had gone crazy, but he didn't conclude that Moses had gone crazy. He withheld judgment until he had more information. Then when he had more information, he knew that was not the case. Two, sometimes God speaks to us through other people. Also true today, God speaks to us through his word. 
God speaks to us through you know, teachers here and I guess you know, elders, maybe even me. But sometimes he speaks to us from other people. Sometimes he speaks through people who aren't even Christians, I think. They just don't know it. It's a message that God wants us to hear. I, today, um, my wife told me something that, or actually it was yesterday, but today I realized I needed to follow through on it, and it was something that um, maybe I could have learned some other way, but it was my wife telling me, and I realized she was right. So I think that maybe God used her to speak to me. Not a surprise, she's my wife. Sometimes the problem is that we are not doing something when we should know better. Because sometimes the problem is not lack of information. We hear about this again and again. Now, it could be true for practical matters. I, I know this in my job sometimes. I, I, I have a problem and I realize it was because I didn't do something I knew I should have done. Or maybe the reverse, you know, I... I um, did something that I shouldn't have done. But I should have known better because I had the information that I didn't act on it. Okay, so it could be in a practical area. It could be in, um, it could be in a spiritual area where we did something and we realized that the Council of Scripture taught the opposite and that we didn't want to pay attention or we weren't paying attention. And, you know, leaders do this all the time. Leaders do it in in government, they do it in business, they do it in churches where it should have been super obvious that they shouldn't have done this thing that they did and yet they did it anyway. Problems, not lack of information. Sometimes the problem is that we should know better, which is why this is called We Should Know Better. Because Moses, he should have known better than to sit there all day and try to solve all the people's problems. But it took God using Jethro to tell him what he needed to do, something that he should have done anyway. So those are three takeaways that we can apply to our lives, and maybe right now. Maybe there's something going on. You realize you already know what the answer is. You just got to do it. Sometimes the Bible's, pra- you know, stories are practical. Uh, books of the Bible are practical. Pastor Paul took us through Proverbs. It's practical. Ecclesiastes, he's taking us through it now. Practical. And, um, and we're the better for hearing and heeding. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.